the future of the church. You know, I once had an elder, great man. Oh, Brother Herschel, I remember him. It had a major role in my life, and I uh, got to say a few words at his funeral even, and I, I remember a prayer that he led. We had a group from Freed Hardeman. When I was a kid, a group from Freed Hardeman that was coming to, uh, they stayed in homes, and they led our evening service one night, and he got up to lead the prayer before, and he said, "And Lord, we just ask that you be with these young men as they do the service for us, because Lord... Somebody's got to hear them. <laughs> and I thought, bless the guy's heart that's going to preach. Like somebody's got to listen to them. We need to be the guinea pigs before they go off into the real world. Um, and that, that's certainly not the case. That was not his intentions at all to say it that way. But, um, you know, the, we, we've done a lot for our youth over the last several decades. Uh, some of it's been good. Some of it could be a little better. Uh, we've, we've developed in the last 30 to 40 years, uh, we've come up with this a whole nother role for our youth. We get a youth director. And I, I pray that you don't hire a youth director. Okay? Let me say this the right way. I, I pray you don't hire, that you're not looking to hire a youth director. Because when you think of a youth director... This is what you think of. I think of an air traffic controller. All right, y'all come this way, and y'all go that way, and we're going to plan all these activities over here, and this is how we're going to... No, if you're going to hire some, a young man to do that, you hire a youth minister. And preferably, you hire a family minister that helps with the youth. Um, they may specialize in the youth, but they work under the realm of family. Because here, here's the problem. Uh, I was able to teach, I, I had the privilege of being able to teach youth ministry at Heritage for about five years uh, before Kirk came. And, and he's uh, Kirk uh, Brothers at, at, at Heritage now. He's teaching those youth ministry classes. A lot more um, uh, decorated in being able to teach it than I am. But when I, when I taught that class, I, I remember when I was in class working toward a degree in ministry, looking at youth ministry to help the future generations. I, you know, that, I, had a, I felt I had a calling for that. I really did. And uh, I still believe God wanted me to work with kids. I still love to work with kids. I do it at Mars Hill every day. And I feel like I have an impact in their life in some way. But we have to be careful when we hire our youth ministers. I think you need to be more careful in hiring your youth ministers than your preacher. Because a lot of times, your preacher, you can see a lot of what he's already done. You hear him all the time. The youth minister, you don't hear what he says in class all the time. You don't... He has your children one-on-one -on -one when you're not there a lot. And you need to make sure you hire the right kind of guy. But we have to be careful because when we hire these guys... Uh, we typically have churches that look like... Have you ever heard of the one-ear Mickey Mouse model? Have you all ever heard of that? The one-ear Mickey Mouse? I should have did a uh, done a slide to show you. The one-ear Mickey Mouse, you know what a Mickey Mouse... you got two ears and then the circle, the two little circles for the ears. The one-ear Mickey Mouse is the model of most churches with their youth group. you got the church as the big circle, and then you got the little circle as the youth group. And they're separated. 
And that is as unscriptural as unscriptural can be. They are not their own separate church. They are not their own special group. The little circle should be in the big circle. Make sense? The little circle should be a part of the big circle. It's not the church and then the youth group. The youth group should be involved in the church. And that's where it gets involved with your families as a family ministry where they're involved in that. You know, I, I encourage you. Yes, there are times when teens need to have lessons on their own. That's important for them. They're going through things. They're learning how to date. They're going through some lust. They're going through some temptations that you may not be dealing with now in the rest of the church. You've already been past that. You know, they're learning how to handle their emotions. They need some time to focus on those certain things. But they need to be intertwined with members of the congregation. That's a big part of how we keep our youth. We don't separate them out. They're a part of us. I, I don't mind when I go to church and you have the youth section, the kids sit over here. I think that's good. I, I do think that's important. But, you know, when we did that at, at church, our, I, the preacher I always said here, and the youth group said over here, my kids always wanted to sit with us. They were active in the youth group, but they always wanted to sit with us. And I like that. I think that's fine too. I, that doesn't matter. What I mean is after church, you need to make sure the kids are mingling around with everyone else and involved in the lives of everyone else. We're taught that the church is a body. You know, 1 Corinthians and Romans teaches us that, that we are the body. The hand cannot say to the foot or the foot to the ear, which is more important. They're, we're all important. And these kids are just as important to our congregation as we are. We've just got to learn their roles and, or rather help them learn their roles of what they can do to help the growth of the church and to help shape, you know, how shall the young secure their hearts? Make sure that seed's planted in there first. Nurture the seed. Take care of the seed as it grows. That's what we do as, uh, as helping that. So I want to give you a few things uh, to help out with this, uh, some scriptural references to do this too, of how we can help improve the future. You know, first of all, we don't need to necessarily call them the future of the church. They're the church of the now too. They're the leaders of tomorrow. There are future elders and deacons, Bible class teachers, shower group leaders, uh, food group leaders, food group participants, you know, van drivers. They're part of the church now. They're the leaders of tomorrow. But how can we, how can we help them and ensure that we can maintain some sort of continuity in bringing younger ones in and keeping them into the church. One's gonna, the first one's going to sound a little strange. You've got to lower your expectations. You know, we've got to lower our expectations. When I was... Uh, youth minister, I went to a youth rally at Heritage, and the guy's name was Mike Tanaro. I don't even know where he is now. I don't even know if he's still living. Many of you may have heard the name Mike Tanaro. I have no idea where he came from. I was probably 19 years old, had a group of kids there at a youth rally. It was still International Bible College. And he was uh, partially deaf, so he had a speech impediment when he spoke. But he, he said, we need to stop telling our kids in our classes and at home, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin. And that always 
stuck with me. And he said, because when we tell them don't sin, don't sin, don't sin, we're setting the bar so high they cannot ever achieve that. Because they're going to sin. They're going to sin. So instead of saying, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin, what we need to be saying is, when you do sin, this is how you fix it. When you do mess up, this is how you do it. A lot of times we have set the bar so high uh, for our kids that we, we, we put them on so much of a pedestal, they feel like that they're on a, a, a tightrope you know, and they've got to do everything right. And when, once they fall off that tightrope, they feel like they failed. And they don't know how to react to that. You know, we're taught to not sin. We understand that principle. But we also know that what Romans tells us, that we all sin. For all sin and come short of the glory of God. And that our children are going to make mistakes. Think about the mistakes you made. Did they help you to become who you are? Do you learn more about who you are as a person by your failures? You know, what about the kid who is told by his dad, don't ever lose, never, never. Would you imagine a coach or a father Telling his kids, you hit every shot you take. You never miss a shot. Would you ever say that to your kid? You hit every pitch that's thrown to you. Never drop a ball when it's passed to you. You better not ever drop one. Never miss a putt. Catch a fish every time you throw that lure out. Kill a deer every time you go hunting. No, we wouldn't tell them that. Because we know there are times when you're not going to catch fish, when you're going to miss a free throw, when you're going to drop a pass, when you're going to miss a putt. If we set the bar so high and they come off believing that if they do stumble, kids are very, very moldable. Their, their brains their egos, their social aspect. It's very moldable when they're young. And they can feel as though one small thing is a failure. And they have messed up. You know, um, I made the mistake one time. There was a little girl in our youth group that was... Um, uh, dating a young man and he broke it off with her and she was just boo-hooing I mean just you know uncontrollably you know was, and instead of putting my arm around her and saying it's okay sweetie you'll be fine you know I said oh, there's a whole lot of other fish in the sea you're okay don't worry about this you're gonna you're gonna date several guys you know you're a long way from there. You got a lot to learn about this. Don't worry. You're going to be dumped more than once. Oh, I thought, well, after I said that one, I thought, uh oh. You know, and, 
Somebody told me one time, said, don't, you don't ever say things like that because to that girl at that moment in time, that is her entire world. That's her whole world right there. And it has crumbled before her. She doesn't know how to handle it. We do that with our, with our children when we tell them, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin. Yes, we need to encourage them to not sin. But we need to let them know, when you do sin, I'm still here for you. I'm still here for you. I'll, you will be forgiven. God can forgive you. You can move on from this aspect of your problem because you're not a failure. Kids need to hear that they're important. Our goal is to get them from childhood faith to a mature faith. So instead of saying things like this, this is what maybe we could say. Instead of good Christians don't have pain and disappointments, how about God uses our pain and disappointments to make us better people? Instead of saying God helps those who help themselves, how about God helps those who admit their failures. Instead of God wants me to be happy, how about God wants to make me into the image of his son? And sometimes that means I won't be happy. That there's a difference between happiness and joy. Instead of the closer we get to God, the more perfect we can become, how about the closer we get to God, the more we are aware of our sin? Now, it's still true, the closer we get to God, the more perfect, but perfect in the sense of complete. But we still sin. Instead of good Christians are always strong, how about strength comes from when we acknowledge our weakness? I think that helps as well. We need to lower our expectations and not think our kids are going to be perfect. Challenge them. Oh, yes, challenge them. You have to challenge them to be the best that they can be. You want to push them in that direction. You want to motivate them to do that. But they also need to know that failure is also part of the process. Failure is part of the process. We just finished um, our state championship run with our basketball team. I saw about it earlier a while ago. Our girls won the state championship this year. And uh, our boys come up short. Last year, they were runner-up. This year, we made it to the Final Four, and we got beat. And, I mean, our son, he's a senior. He was devastated. He was devastated. I mean, they, he moped around, and, and we tried to prepare him for it, you know, because here's the thing. In every sport, you will, you, you will lose your last game unless you win the championship. You think about that. Your last game as a senior... Unless you win the whole kit and caboodle, you're going to lose your last game. And that's, that's hard for them to fathom, you know. We needed to prepare him for that, to help him understand that it's just part of life. Failure is part of life. Sin is part of life. We need to encourage him to stay away from it. We don't need to, you don't need to put it in front of him. You need to be careful how you do that. But... We all sin. We come short of the glory of God. You know, I, re I recall the, um, I watched a TV series called A.D., The Bible Continues. I don't know if you've seen that. But it was a great uh, 
TV series it took on when they did the Bible, the series, the Bible on the History Channel. This came after that, but it came on Wednesday nights, I think, on ABC when we were all in church and nobody watched it. So they dropped it after one season. But it has a great uh, relationship that it shows between Peter and Paul as they are starting their ministries, to, you know, together. And um, it has Paul, Peter here, and he's meeting with Paul after Paul has obeyed the gospel. And Paul is ready to go out and preach. And Peter's like, no, 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 you're not one of us. You, you, you killed us. You put us in prison. You hurt the church. How, this is a trap. You're setting us up. And he's, he's going all about how, you know, he doesn't believe that Paul is legitimate in his, or sincere in his belief in Jesus. And there is a moment where Paul looks at Peter and says, in that TV series, and it's not recorded that it happened, but I have a feeling that there's something along the lines had to be close, where he said, of all people, Peter, you should understand what forgiveness is really like. Planting that seed of that denial that he had those three times. Of all people, you should understand forgiveness, Peter. You know, we need to make sure our kids learn what forgiveness really is like. That once they are forgiven, it's wiped clean. And they can start fresh every single day. Instead of don't sin, don't sin, don't sin, say, we want you to try not to. But there's, you're going to have sin in your life. When you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father through Jesus. This is what you have. This is how you can relate to that. By doing that, we create a system for our young people to be able to thrive in instead of setting them up for the impossibility task of being perfect because they're not going to be perfect. And they have self-image for a kid is everything. How they view themselves is everything to them. Might not be who they really are, but to them it is everything. And we need to make them feel as valuable, as important as the rest of us. And we do that by making sure we, first of all, we, we lower our expectations there uh, to help them out. There, I'll give you this example that kind of fits with the church there to see. Um, building a bridge, being a bridge builder used to be a very dangerous job. It still is dangerous, but not as dangerous as it used to be. Usually for every $1 million they spent, there was a death recorded. Now, I was always told that in Wilson Dam, out where, close to where we live, that there are at least three bodies in the concrete there that fell in when they were pouring the concrete. That it was very, you know, very difficult, and those bodies are just still there. They couldn't recover them. Uh, but when they were building the Golden Gate Bridge, they decided to do something a little different. Some engineers got together, and they decided to build a safety net that went under the Golden Gate Bridge. And this was a multi-million dollar thing that they were worried about, that they were going to have to, they had already accounted in they were going to lose so many people in building this. Because they're up there working and they fall. They're not tied off well enough. They slip. They, and there's nothing to do. So they created a safety net. And that got to be a scorecard that the newspaper kept up with on the sidebar of their paper that would say like, 
four saved today from the safety net. And they didn't lose anybody because they had that safety net for them. That's what we, the church, need to be for our young people. We need to be the safety net to catch them when, we fall, when they fall. These kids are struggling with things you didn't have to struggle with. Yes, temptations are the same. Lust is still the same. But they're struggling with that. I'll just be frank with you. There are school systems that are voting on whether or not they're going to put litter boxes in the bathroom. Because there are children that are identifying as an animal. There are children in school systems where the teacher is required to test them as their identified animal of bark once for yes, twice for no for the question. This is our world. You know, so they're struggling with their identity already. They're struggling with, I'm not a he or a she, I'm an it. I identify as an it, as they and them. That's my pronouns now. You check, now college applications, they just don't have male and female. They have other boxes. Now you know as well as I do, there are not those boxes. Those aren't real things. But somewhere down the line, these kids have fallen through the cracks and nobody's caught them. They feel like they're a failure. They don't fit in here. They don't fit in there. Therefore, they must fit in in their own little way in some different, something different. The church, we're the safety net that catches them. So we, we, we begin to do that by letting them know. A uh, couple verses here. If a man be, Galatians 6, 1 and 2. If a man be overtaken in a fault, what does it say? You who are spiritual, restore such a one. Help, the restore is where you bring them back. You're the safety net. You catch them and you bring them back to where they need to be. When we set unrealistic expectations for them, that's not restoring them. Um, Ecclesiastes 4. 8, 9, and 10. Two are stronger than, than one. If one lies, they can't be warm. But if two lie together, they can stay warm. And a cord of three cannot be easily broken. That the, the, the tighter they are, the, when you mix the, the braids up together with a rope, it's stronger because there are more people. When we lower our expectations and we provide that safety net for our, for our youth, we we provide them some cords in that to help them and to feel like they're important, to feel like they're loved, to feel like they're cared for, and we can restore them. Um, we need to teach them, number two there, we need to teach them to have a, a positive view of themselves. Um, teenagers are trying on many different personalities right now to uncover who they are. We've already touched on that. A teen may be into one form of music, and then a week later they change to something else. They may be into one way of dress and then they quickly change into something else to look like something different. We've placed so much of an emphasis 
in our culture on outer appearance. Maybe because we never look deeper to uncover the true nature of who we really are with our kids. Maybe, maybe they feel as though they want to fit in and to be accepted by somebody and that's why they're doing or acting out as we call it in whatever they do. We cannot underestimate the importance of physical appearance to a kid, what, it, what physical importance to a kid is. You know, and that's what's different for us is because you know, we, we have an expectation for our children that they need to look like. When I was a kid, I was really concerned about what my hair looked like. Now I don't have any. You know, um, My son right now, he's got a girlfriend, um, and he has a mop of, a, of hair on his head right now. And I would not go out in public at all with the way he fixes his hair because it just looks like a mop on his head. It's, it, he looks like he doesn't comb it at all or brush it at all. But his girlfriend thinks it looks hot. She thinks it looks good. All his friends thinks it looks cool. That's important to him. You know, uh, my conforming to what I would want him to do, he'd have short hair. He doesn't have long hair. Uh, but it just is, you know, we have to be careful. We have to pick our battles. That's what I'm saying with our children. We have to pick our battles with our children. And because their outward appearance is so important to them. And with, with, with girls, modesty issues. And I, that is so hard. That is so hard. Have you been to department stores and saw the clothes that our girls are, have to shop for? It's awful. It's awful, the clothing that they have that is out there for them. It's hard to find clothing for them to wear. It's out there. You can look for it. But their physical appearance is very important to them. And we need to be careful that we teach them to have this, a very positive uh, view about themselves. Students, we need to teach them a positive view about God as well. Because... Most students, when they, you, you know that about, it used to be in the high 90s, I think it's about 80-something now, percent of teenagers leave the church when they go to college. Did you know that? Now, about 40% of that group comes back after four years, after college, they come back to the church. Um, their view of God and how they view God is very important. If they view God as demanding and unforgiving, what happens? When they do mess up, they don't want to come back. They don't understand what grace is. They view God as constantly looking down on them. I mean, if, if we view God, we have to be careful of not viewing God as an overlord looking down, watching us, making sure we don't mess up. Do you look at God... As though he's looking down on you waiting for you to mess up? No, I don't either. But I think sometimes kids do. They need to understand what grace is and how we can accept grace. And kids view God as being distant and distracted today. This is from their viewpoint. This is what today kids say. Kids say God is demanding and unforgiving. They say God is distant and distracted. They say God is slow to forgive. 
That's not the God we know. But that's the God they view. Why do they view it that way? Well, maybe because they don't see us living out the way we view God. If they could see the way we view God, maybe we just need to do a better job of how we're displaying our faith to them. Their self-image is is so important to them. I've got millions of things I want to talk about, but I'm already running out of time. Um, We need to make sure if we want to preserve the image of the church with our kids and for the future, we need to make sure they understand that life is not fair. That life is not fair. That there are things that are going to happen in their life that don't work out for them. That the world is not going to be fair to God never promised things are going to be fair to us. Um, if it were fair, if we're expecting fairness, then we should be the ones that died on the cross. Because we didn't, we didn't deserve the grace that we got. We got grace and mercy. That was not fair. Kids need to understand that life is not fair. Things are not always going to work out for them. They need to understand that they have a loving family that is waiting on them, that is providing activities for them, that is helping them to be the kind of people that the church can use in the future, that they're valuable now, but they're even more valuable in the future. It's... It's not going to be as hard as we think, I think, of raising godly kids in our churches. I think we make it more harder. I think they really are looking for something. We have that. They need to belong. They need a sense to belong. They need a place to feel loved. And who better to do that than the church? Because they're looking for that. They're looking for acceptance in all these other realms. What if we accept them? Now, that's, that's going to look hard because we have people that are coming in that are uh, com- becoming young adults that are homosexual, that consider themselves transgender. And we need, to, we need to show them that we don't agree with their lifestyle. But, and they may be a sinner, but so are we. They need to see the love of Jesus. If they can see that God is a God of forgiveness, that God is a God of love, if we can show that to them, that's going to help our kids more than anything else. Our kids need love in our churches. They don't need to view church as something that is formal, that is boring. You know, it's a sin to bore somebody with the gospel. Remember that. It's a sin to bore somebody with the gospel. You know, the gospel is the good news, and we should, we should be excited about it when we share it with others so they can see it. Our kids need to see that excitement in our lives. They can't see that church is exciting when they come to church and see you singing, Amazing Grace. If you're not going to sing, don't expect your kids to sing. If, you don't, if you're not happy when you're here, don't expect your kids to be happy when they're here. Show them. 
Show them how they can live. That's how you preserve the future of the church. Teach in those ways. All right. Well, I've took too much of your time, and we got lunch, right? All right. Let's pray it out. And I, I thank you for your time. I'm, I, listen, I'm no expert. You know, I'm, I'm not the expert that you need to look to. But I hope I'm here, and I've offered you some words of encouragement, some scriptures that uh, can help you. The biggest one, I want you to remember, remember that steerage. Remember that. Somebody's got to drive the bus. Somebody has to drive the bus. And that, that would be the theme for the whole day if you had one. So let's pray and let's thank God for the food. And um, uh, we'll, uh, we'll move out. Do you have somebody for the prayer? You do? All right, we'll let them lead. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it.